United States. So that's their duty and that's their responsibility. Uh, national security falls under the, uh, the umbrella of our national government. Uh, I do feel like that there are things that can be held, uh, handled or and should be handled uh, by the either uh, state or uh, local agencies, uh, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes. I think the closer that you are uh, to the emergency from a, from a, um, uh, from a state perspective or a local uh, perspective, the better things are run and, and operated. For instance, if a hurricane occurred in Louisiana, we, uh, people from Texas would not be well served traveling to that area to oversee that operation. Uh, very much like when the federal government jumps in and tries to oversee a hurricane disaster area, a lot of times it's better served by the people living in those areas, in those counties, in those parishes, uh, in those precincts. Okay, so I want to point out, uh, and it's probably going to be self-evident that I don't need to say this, but that we do have rules. <laughs> and the rules are we're going to respect our other speakers and their time. We're not going to interrupt. We're going to try and limit the time that you're allowed to speak to two minutes. Um, if there is a comment or a statement that you wish to rebut, you may uh, basically ask for permission. And of course, it'll be granted unless somebody else has a issue with it. And uh, if you're going to keep objecting, then we just won't allow for that. Um, so that being said, I don't perceive that we're going to have an issue. So I just wanted to put that out there because for those of you that might be watching or listening online, they'll have copies of those rules. So question number two. Yes. I would like to make one comment. Sure, please. I don't pay taxes. They are taken from me. Paying taxes implies that I did it voluntarily mm -hmm. and that I have consent and that I have transparency in what I'm paying for, which I do not. So I do not believe most of us pay taxes. They are involuntarily and coercively removed from us. Okay. Uh, next question is going to be, please give us an example of when government involvement during an emergency has proved to either be a great success or a great failure, and why do you think that is the case? And Ricky, we'll start with you. Well, certainly in, in my lifetime, and I was a superintendent out down in South Texas when this actually occurred, uh, I think uh, the uh, uh, FEMA's response to uh, Katrina was a complete disaster. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of reasons why. I think one reason uh, that I had mentioned just earlier, uh, that is the federal government decided to step in and oversee the entire operation. Uh, there was a lot of snafus from uh, 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 food chain supplies to transportation. Uh, I know a lot of the school districts in Texas were actually asked to uh, provide school bus routes to, uh, to Baton Rouge for, uh, for, for assistance. So I know that we, I say we, we in Texas were actually uh, um, asked to um, assist in, in that in that movement of, of people from uh, New Orleans to Baton Rouge back into the Houston area, uh, and a lot of people uh, were moved throughout the uh, the state of Texas. Uh, but once again, as I said earlier, I do feel like that things were left to the to the local parishes in Louisiana, so they're called counties over here in Texas, uh, that things would have been uh, overseen and operated much more efficiently. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, so I'll talk about Katrina for a moment. Um, I was in California at the time and watched Katrina happen. And I was uh, sent out from my department, San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, as a member to come out to help law enforcement uh, in New Orleans, Baton Rouge. And when I landed, um, 
uh, first off, I was shocked at just the destruction and the chaos and the total collapse of society. Uh, not only were people obviously dying and there were shortages, but um, you know, there's good and evil in this world. And whenever uh, there's a societal collapse, the criminals come out. And every street that I drove down, businesses were broken into, there were cars that were jacked up that had all the wheels taken. Law enforcement was outnumbered and outgunned. I remember seeing four California Highway Patrol vehicles together from California in New Orleans just working and seeing all these people come together. And so what that is an example of is um, the overall failure of every level of government at that moment. But uh, because of resources of people coming and pooling together, largely at the local level and citizens from um, uh, with the Cajun Navy citizens sort of taking matters into their own hand, the Coast Guard doing the best they can to rescue folks. You know, they tried to clean up that mess as best as they could. It was a clear failure. However, let's fast forward now to last month. Um, when you look at what the Army Corps of Engineers has done in the last 15 years uh, to uh, rebuild that area with the, uh, the surrounding areas to keep water out, pretty fascinating. We have friends down there and uh, there was no death or destruction from that. And all of that happened because of the collapse of those waterways. So from that huge negative experience that cost lives, was an embarrassment across the board. Um, the Army Corps engineers came in, uh, did a lot of good work for 15 years, and uh, was able to successfully show how their efforts could protect uh, citizens. All right, All right, I'll go ahead and talk about the current pandemic, um, I'll often call it an outbreak because I, I can't help but wonder if it had been handled differently from the very beginning if we would have been honest and, and said that this is more of an outbreak than anything else. Um, if you follow a gentleman named Dr. Peter McCullough, um, he talks about how from the very beginning this COVID has not been handled the way that it could have been. And I keep asking people if the FDA and the CDC just simply did not exist, what would our doctors have done? Mm. Would they have communicated with each other? Would they have communicated with their patients and said, hey, these are the symptoms I'm seeing. These are some of the drugs that have worked in the past for decades. Why don't we give it a shot? But instead, the doctors were just infused with fear. Neighbors were infused with fear. And instead of us wanting to work together, we became fearful of each other. So the government, frankly, did a terrific job of dividing our population and they're still trying to turn neighbors against each other. Now, oh my goodness, you didn't get the vaccine. Well, what's wrong with you? That's very scary. Whereas the people who have made the decision not to get any of these vaccines, it's because they've actually done the research. They've looked at them. They've looked at what's supposedly in them. They've looked at the, uh, the uh, uh, data that they've gotten so far from fairs. And frankly, I can't be more disappointed with the FDA, the CDC, if you go to their websites, they say right on there that they are supposed to be following along with exactly what's happening with everybody following these vaccines, and they aren't. They just aren't. And then when we actually get numbers from VAERS that show over 14,000 people have died as a result of these vaccines, we have at least 700,000 uh, people with crazy adverse reactions. I'm not saying you got a little fever or a rash after your vaccine like the rest of us got after our MMR. I'm talking big ones. <sighs> that it's not accurate information. And, and I have to agree with that because frankly, if you're dead, it's incredibly difficult 
to report any kind of incident. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I guess, expand emergency to this term and talk about when the government declares wars on things. They declare wars on things because it's considered an emergency. We've lost the war on drugs. We've lost the war on poverty. We're losing the war on child literacy. We've lost the war on terror. Um, in my lifetime, the government is basically batting zero for any war in response to any major emergency that's come across our board. Uh, we're losing the war economically from the supply chain aspect. Um, we are astronomically in debt due to all of these quote-unquote emergencies. This government is plain and simple a failure across the board. It fails to do anything that it claims to do. And then it sends us the bill for its failure. I can go into a ton of examples, but you guys get the idea. Yeah, I think that the uh, the thing that you know, we have the COVID outbreak. I'll talk about that a little bit. The very beginning of it, uh, the government responded horrifically. Uh, we can all recall back the government picking and choosing, shutting down certain types of businesses, deciding that certain livelihoods uh, were not allowed to earn a livelihood anymore. Um, but our, our capitalistic society will do that for itself if you just let people determine what's essential for them. Mm -hmm. And But yet we had cities and we had the state under the executive orders of our governor uh, shutting certain parts down. I mean, why would you shut down a clothing store but allow a Walmart that had clothing in it to continue to be, you know, they weren't just shutting down the clothing part of Walmart, they would allow them to continue selling. So if you had a big enough business, it was totally okay. You could still stay functional and all those employees could still stay working. I mean, that's an illegal government taking to do that. And the lawsuits have not yet begun. And, you know, that's, it's protected under our Fourth Amendment. And it's also in our state constitution under Article 1, Section 17. So there are lawsuits that are underway right now because of ordinances and executive orders mm -hmm. that were taken out at the very beginning. I mean, think, everyone has the best intentions. Every government elected official always believes what they're doing is going to be very righteous and that it is the best for everybody to do that. But when it's not based on the Constitution, it's not based on the powers that y'all have granted to us, it's wrong. Okay. Um, I had a third question that was in here, uh, but we've already answered it. So I'm just going to read it, and unless anybody wishes to add anything, just so the audience is aware of what it was. Assuming government is unable or unwilling to step in to assist in an emergency, well, I'm assuming that, my apologies, I jumped a question there. <clears throat> assuming at some point it is appropriate for government to step in at what level government would be best suited, we covered that. The next one is, assuming that government is unable or unwilling to step in, I'm sorry, my eyes are bothering me. Oh. <clears throat> To step in to assist an emergency, what other options might come into play when dealing with this emergency? And why don't we start in the middle and we'll work our way to the right and then we'll jump over to the left. Marissa, if you'd like to start. That's great. So I would like to think of Snowmageddon for this situation. Huh. We, um, 
in our little neighborhood were surrounded with families with little, little babies, right? And we were not in one of those neighborhoods that had rolling blackouts. We had rolling, hey, we got 20 minutes of electricity. What can we get done? Um, and the good news is, what we have realized is to turn off the TV, turn off social media, walk to your neighbor's house, knock on the door and get to know them. Mm -hmm. Give them your phone number. Make sure that if they need anything, that they reach out to you. Because what happened in that emergency is all six of us in this little area communicated with each other. We had one neighbor coming over helping us out with our hot water heater. I was out there shoveling for you know all the families that, that I could help. We were just helping each other out. I realized that the neighbor next door is a coffee drinker. I'm not. I gave her my little you know, camper coffee maker and she was thrilled because she was still able to have her, her coffee. It was just, it was little things like that. But just as a neighborhood, we were able to help each other out and to make that time period, which for us was a good three, almost four days. It was rough, uh, especially if you're a Californian like we are. Uh, it was rough, right? But we got through it. And it was because we had already made those connections. I, I mm -hmm. completely and totally believe that we are meant to be connected with each other. We are meant to communicate with each other. We are meant to forge friendships. We are not not supposed to be turning on each other or expecting someone else to come and be our hero. It's for the people, by the people. And we have got to either be willing to be there for each other or I guess give up because we can, well, obviously nobody here said that the government handled anything great. And the only examples I can think of of when an example was handled great would be if a teacher was smart enough or brave enough to hide her children in the classroom so that the shooter didn't see them. Or if someone else happened to be armed in a church and then that person was able to take out the shooter. Thank you. Paul, would you like to go next? Sure. Uh, so I, I think the theme here that you'll probably see is that locals know how to do it best. And uh, it's probably no surprise. You know, from that we know who our neighbors are. But we gotta think, you know, long term, how long could we have kept that going, right, in Texas without power? There's a certain finite amount of resources or water or food or stores. And so um, I think initially, yes, we all would have been just fine for a few weeks. But at some point, you know, things begin to trickle down. When you look at how many people in America have a savings account or can pay for a rainy day, it's virtually none of us, right? We don't even practice economics that well in our schools with our kids. So I think you got to look at this as short term. Certainly, we can pull together. Um, but when you look at major incidents across the globe that happens that don't have a federal government or state government or others, um, things begin to collapse pretty quick in the third world countries. So we have to depend upon that we're electing the right people in office to make these measures uh, so that we can sustain. And so I think as long as we look at it through the lens of short term, absolutely, we can get through this, you know, but long term, uh, if our government has not put into the systems and the infrastructure and the fail-safes uh, to rebound, then everything that we have done in electing them and funding them has been, been a failure. So it's that preparation. Okay. Ricky? Um, well, I certainly believe there is a level of expectation uh, for the public that, that, the, that the, the county, the city, the state, the federal government, uh, and even school districts have some form of plan uh, of action, if, or I'm, I'm more in tune with what goes on in schools, and every school, every school district has to have an emergency operation plan. Mm -hmm. And those things are just are not just implemented when something comes up. 
you plan for those things. Uh, you uh, you practice for those. With uh, as we all know, we've all gone through fire drills, we've all gone through tornado drills, we've all gone through evacuation drills. Um, I think from the government, though, when you think of uh, uh, what what Trump did uh, at the beginning of this of this pandemic, uh, it was quite evident that we didn't have the uh, supplies needed, and so he ratcheted up. Uh, the uh, manufacturing of, uh, of uh, ventilators, uh, the manufacturing of, of PPEs to, to get those out not only to our school, to our cities, and all, all across the, the nation. And so there is that expectation that government does step up in a, in, in a uh, supportive role. So even though you, uh, the, the government would supply the ventilators, you didn't expect them to go to the hospitals and administer those ventilators. Uh, so, uh, I see the federal government's role, the state government's role, the county's role as uh, being more more supportive of action that's taken at that at that local close level. All right, Terrell, I guess you're next. Yeah. So whenever whenever the government doesn't have the resources or doesn't have the expertise, uh, good thing is that we have a lot of very giving people in Collin County and across the state of Texas. Uh, when the tornado hit out in the eastern part of the county, the next day uh, we had coordinated to handle uh, debris removal along the roads and where we had the right of way and at the same time had talked to Minuteman Disaster Relief and they were out able to help directly with the uh, affected persons on their property without the government having to get involved because we would have had to have signed a contract or signed some kind of agreement with them to, for them to allow us to come on their property. So it was a very good governmental and private entity working together. You have uh, Texas Baptist men that deployed to every, just about every major disaster area with their chainsaw brigades and are cutting down trees, climbing trees, uh, you know, there's trees that have fallen on houses that they will actually cut the tree out of the house into little pieces, take it out so the house can be saved. They'll, they'll set up down at Fair Park whenever uh, the National Guard's down there doing uh, food deliveries and, and or uh, vaccinations, and they will serve tens of thousands of meals. That's just something that isn't a specialty of government. You know, we're, we're handling processing land records, court cases, things like that. You know, we're not in the mass food relief business. And so that's where these volunteer organizations can come into play and really help out and partner with government to do the things that we would do horribly, to be frank. Sean? I keep thinking, I, you know, people are talking about resources, especially here, I call it snowbed. Um, <laughs> How many more resources would people have had and how much better prepared would they have been if they still had 45% of their paycheck left? You know, how, many, how much more can you take care of yourself when almost half of your money isn't being stolen from you? Um, during that time, I, I worked with a group of volunteers. I went and picked up nurses uh, when the roads were extremely nasty because I've got a four by four. So I went out and I drove nurses to make sure they could make it to their shifts. Um, I spent the time dropping off firewood, old pallets, to some of the homeless camps that now Dallas has removed. Um, I, at the end of the day, I'm a voluntarist. I believe that all interaction between humans should be voluntary and consensual. Um, I believe that we can take care of ourselves best 
And uh, once again, when you start taxing the people and promising them safety and security, uh, like any other domesticated animal, they become reliant on that. Mm -hmm. And what we've watched over the last 50, 60, 70 years in the United States is a population grow increasingly dependent on somebody else to take care of themselves. And the public education system is also not doing a very good job of preparing us as we leave that system to actually be able to take care of ourselves and quite honestly to even understand that we don't know how to take care of ourselves because we walk out thinking, oh, I have this certificate. This obviously means that I'm competent. And while you may have your mental faculties, you haven't been given the skills to actually learn how to take care of yourself and learn how to have civic engagement and learn how to go out and take care of one another. Um, even though I'm not particularly a Christian, uh, I've looked around, I worked at Hurricane Katrina as a contractor, I worked Hurricane Ike, I worked Hurricane Harvey, and honestly, I watched the churches do exponentially better jobs at helping one another than I ever witnessed the government do. And, and that comes from somebody who, that's not even my faith, that's just an observer who was working down there watching people want to take care of one another, and we have taken God out of the community and we have made government the god and so that's again going back to incompetence okay um so we're going to go on to the next question this was submitted by uh, someone by the name of joe reynolds he is a precinct captain in district 62 the question is where can the average citizen go when vaccine mandates have caused discrimination lost wages or a lost job and the follow-up is, are there attorneys willing to take on the case? So I'm gonna couch this in the context of government has incentivized and threatened companies, essentially, that you must force people to partake in this. Uh, so what are your options? Um, this time we'll go in reverse order. Sean, you can start, and we'll loop back around the other way. I have met a few lawyers right now that are taking on these jobs, or taking on these cases. Um, obviously, once again, uh, this is the government destroying the community. Uh, they are bullying and manipulating people, and uh, without a hint of irony, they are most definitely violating the Nuremberg Ethics Codes of informed consent, which most of us do not have. Um, I do believe that the lawsuits will go on for a very long time. I unfortunately do not think that it's going to go anywhere. Uh, the government has pretty well shielded most of these people from any kind of liability. Um, so it is going to go back to voluntary community, community interaction, making sure that you work with people, do business with people, and communicate with people that whether they choose to be vaccinated or not, they support everybody's right to be vaccinated or unvaccinated. It's still going to go back to the people ultimately are going to have to be the ones to push back. You know, we're going to have to be the ones. Fortunately for me, I'm self-employed, so I don't have to start, I don't have to continue this battle in a lot of ways, but when people are truly fed up, they're going to have to stand up and they're going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm. And again, I'll go back to taxes and people are living check to check, month to month, because so much of their money is being taken that unfortunately people are being forced to get a vaccine that they don't ethically agree with, that they may have health concerns about, and with no guarantees of their safety or any recourse if anything happens. 
but because we've all been financially strapped by this bloated government that continues to destroy us economically, a lot of people are put in a choice, put in the position where they have no choice but to get it. Um, and I, I have several loved ones that unfortunately have been put in that position, and every one of them asks the same question: What do I do if something happens? And Fortunately, the government in this case is going to be protecting the bad guy. Mm -hmm. For there to be any kind of protection for the individuals, it's going to have to be established by law in the state of Texas. And the only way that that's going to happen in the near term is for, Senator, or for Governor Abbott to put it on to his, his special session number three call to allow it to be uh, debated and have votes on it. Uh, Senator Hall and Representative uh, Noble have both filed bills. I'm sure there are numerous other bills that are in the same vein that are filed that would allow either exemptions or protections um, f for people to have protection of their job if they elect not to take the vaccine. The Right now, it, it's probably a stretch that somewhere that there's some equal protection argument under the Constitution that might resonate with a judge, but for the most part, we have enacted laws that say what you can and cannot do uh, inside businesses. We can add on to it as long as the federal government doesn't have a law that's been passed by Congress that would have supremacy over our laws. I think if we pass something at the state level, though, you're not going to see the party that's in power right now pass a law that says you have to be vaccinated, it, it will just destroy them if they do. So if we pass it at the state level, we can protect people's jobs from being for, having a vaccine forced on them if they choose not to take it. All right, thank you. Ricky, if you go, please. Yeah, that's a tough, uh, tough question for me because they're asking for some form of a, a legal opinion and, and I'm totally no lawyer. It also puts us in kind of a, uh, a dilemma here too because our own governor uh, picked certain businesses to be essential and some not be essential. Uh, and so people lost their jobs and people lost their income. Uh, so what do you do uh, when, when it's your own government, uh, when it's your own uh, governor that that uh, was able to pick and choose who was able to keep a job uh, and those that were not able to, to keep a job. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, luckily uh, where I'm where I am in, in, in the education world, uh, we have not been mandated to uh, take a vaccine. Uh, we haven't had people lose jobs. In fact, uh, currently it's very hard to find teachers who actually want to come into education now. Uh, we have a number of uh, teachers that start the school year and they just leave the first two, two or, or three weeks. Uh, we can't find substitutes. Uh, and certainly it's not because we're mandating people uh, or teachers or substitutes or bus drivers uh, uh, to, to get vaccinated. Um, I feel like that is also, you know, a, a, a personal decision. Uh, it should not be mandated uh, by the government. It should not be mandated by the state or or the or the federal government. Uh, but that's my opinion. Thank you, Paul. So, uh, yeah, are there attorneys willing to take on these cases? Uh, let me just say I don't know, and I'm pretty shocked that we don't. We have a group called the ACLU, which should be out in front of this issue, but they're not because they support anything the left says, right? Anything that's on the, the right that we're concerned about, true freedoms, they're no longer there. It's a shame because the ACLU had a, a very genuine, honest uh, 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 formation at one point in our history. And today it is an asinine embarrassment they should change their name. 
Let me get to some other things that are part of this. Um, to protect you, like I've got a good friend lost his job because he wouldn't get a vaccine. There's a, a startup company out there right now that is a headhunter and recruiter uh, trying to help people find jobs that are getting terminated. But look, we've done really nothing with the social media at the legal level, shutting down pages. I've had my YouTube page shut down. I'm shocked that they shut down President Trump, that they could do that. If they could do that to a president, they could do that to all of us. And here we are eight months later and still no clear direction. Um, I, I blame a lot of our political leaders for their failure to be aggressive on this. Um, you need to diversify your finances and diversify your jobs. I tell my kids, you can't grow up having just one job. You got three, right now I got about three or four or five different sources of income. If I had just one and I depended on that corporate job and I got four kids and I got to take that jab, right? Now I did, I took the vaccine voluntarily. But what if I didn't? Would I to feed my kids? That's the dilemma our government is putting our parents in. I don't know how much time I got left, but let me just run with this. California election with Newsom last two weeks ago. Uh, when you look at people and just how idiotic they're becoming, uh, the government of California mailed out $600 checks to every single Californian basically a week before the election. Hmm. An overwhelming majority voted for that guy in office who's mandating so many crazy things that here in Texas would cause likely a revolution. So we gotta be concerned about our population getting dumbed down and the inaction of our leaders that have a louder microphone to address this issue. Go ahead. All right, Joe, thank you. I needed this question. This is, I'm pretty sure this is why I was asked to be here. Yes, we've got lawyers. Yes, we've got exemptions. Oh me and I love helping people when they're in these situations. So first of all, I wanna point out that these vaccines could possibly be forced on us if we weren't buying the narrative that there's no early treatment. Mm -hmm. Folks, stop buying the, the narrative that there's no early treatment, there is. But what you have to do is you have to stick to your doctors, and yes, we're gonna go the other way. We're sticking it to the doctors because they have got to be willing to treat us. Again, let's go back. If the CDC and the FDA didn't exist, we would probably have a much better relationship with our personal physicians, and they would probably be more than willing to prescribe anything we ask for that we think would actually be successful. So I have in my hand a very nice, thick um, study where they studied golden hamsters and decided that, yeah, sure enough, guess what, ivermectin, yeah, it works. And if you're a female hamster, it works really well. If you're a male hamster, it works pretty great too. But what it doesn't do is reduce the viral load. We have yet to find anything that reduces the viral load. They say the vaccines do, guess what? Maybe not so much. You can still catch it, you can still share it. This is really just put into question the definition of what a vaccine is? Mm. Okay, so Golden Hamster study shows you that yes, it boosts your immune system so that you can fight off COVID much better. Okay, then we keep being told, well, we can't, we can't possibly prescribe Evermectin. This is from the NIH. And it says right here, reports from in vitro studies suggest that Ivermectin acts by inhibiting the host important alpha-beta-1 nuclear transport proteins, which are part of the key intracellular process that viruses hijack to enhance infection by suppressing the host antiviral response. It goes on to say that we need to study it some more. Guess what? We've got some studies. We have eight studies just in the United States alone where they are testing ivermectin. So folks, don't let your doctors tell you that there are no more early treatments. If you are being told by your employer that you have to get this vaccine, guess what? You don't. You can get an exemption. Medical exemptions are for there for people who react to um, and any of the ingredients that are in them. And religious ones are for anybody who has 
a sincerely held religious belief against any part of this vaccine. Maybe the process, maybe you have a little issue with that. It doesn't matter. And you don't need a pastor's signature. You write a very nice, polite, brief letter explaining what your situation is and you submit it. If they reject it, that's when you get your lawyer. But what you don't do is quit. Make them fire you. Okay. Uh, as you can see, we have a little bit of an expansive interpretation of what exactly an emergency is. So we're going to uh, jump on to the next one here. Um, it is uh, from a group in McKinney called Parents United. Governor Abbott has ex uh, issued executive orders for the last 20 months regarding COVID, citing the Disaster Act. He has shut down businesses, issued mask mandates. Is this the proper role of government? Question mark. How is the governor able to continue expanding the emergency when there is no imminent threat? Question mark. Has the government abused his office? Third question mark. So we're going to call this a three-part question, and you can answer it however you see fit. Um, Paul, would you like to start this time? Yeah, so when this first happened, I initially supported the governor. I supported anybody. I thought the world was ending, right? That's what the news told us. We saw the morgues get built up in New York City. I was terrified for my kids. It reminded me of being in Washington, D.C. in 9-11 when we were taping our doors in our place uh, because we were worried about chemicals coming in to kill all of us. I mean, we were all just like, when's the next thing going to happen? And, you know, hindsight, 2020 or a few months passed, and we look back and go, wow the damage that we caused to our country, our economy, and most importantly, our kids. When I see kids today wearing uh, masks, forced masks, not voluntarily, but forced in schools, to me, I just, I see child abuse now. I, I just, I cannot, everything we know now uh, to continue where we are is, is abusive to children, and it is cult, it's a cult-like control. And some people are really buying into it. Do I think the virus is deadly and dangerous? You know, of course I, I do. And I think lots of things are deadly and dangerous. But we're the United States of America. And what kind of citizenry are we creating amongst ourselves? Right now, I think China could literally walk across California or these other states where these people are just looking towards government for their protection consistently. And that, to me, is un-American. And again, I'll go back to Abbott. I defended him at first. I thought, hey, knowing what he did at the beginning, like we all did, seeing all the pictures, okay. But once we knew the facts about this and where we are, and to see it's still continuing today in blue states like New York and California, it's, it, it's beyond a shame. I think it's criminal. So, um, no comment on the expansion of power or abuse of office? Uh, I, I would say that, you know, initially, I, I defended the governor, and I say that here, that I defended it in my, in my house. In my mind, I felt, okay, you know, he's, the, the world's coming to an end here with this catastrophic virus that's going to wipe us out. But no, uh, the harm that was done and what we've learned from that has just been, I think, sinister. Uh, I, I'm glad to see the pressure on Governor Abbott and others that have backed off. I think that's been really important. And I hope there's a lesson learned here in history that we don't repeat this again and look back at this. But you're watching two parallel universes play out. You're watching these models and most of these red states continue on. Look at our kids here in school. Look at the low numbers of COVID and Allen and McKinney. 
where we don't mask up, and then you look at Dallas and their required masking. Where, so no, we have completely abused this process, and when you abuse a process like this, you're only gonna further limit government powers down the road because there's gonna be even less trust uh, going forward. And that, to me, is dangerous uh, for a republic. Marissa, go ahead. Uh, I will say that coming from California, I was very excited to have a governor like Abbott until I lived here through a quote-unquote pandemic. It's very evident that there were no guardrails on his executive powers. People refused to rein him in. There were no time constraints. I thought he did a horrible job. I'm going to be really honest with you. And I'm extremely excited that we have three gentlemen who are challenging him to do a much better job. And I am not afraid at all to primary him out. Sean? Well, what can I say? He's an incompetent governor, uh, but he followed an incompetent governor who followed an incompetent governor, so we've got a track record. Um, the government has no right to shut down anybody's business. It's their sweat equity. It's how they feed their family. If they want to do business, they, should, they need to understand what their community wants. If the community feels better with the business mandating masks and that business wants to stay open, they'll do so, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Um, I absolutely, as a government employee, you have no right to tell somebody how their livelihood should be run. Um, none of this was a surprise to me. From the start of this, I already knew this was gonna be a power grab. I knew before the vaccine came out that it was gonna be like the flu shot and it's gonna be a recurring thing and every time they want to pump in a little bit of new fear, we magically now have a new variant. The new variant is on its way. Huh. Um, the government simply has no right or level of credibility to be able to do the things that they're doing. Um, Governor Abbott, honestly, to me, is just like the rest of all the rest of them. They're all the same to me. Um, I think he's, except for him, I'd vote for him 10 out of 10 times. Um, <laughs> true story, true story. Um, they did it, they failed at what they claimed the job was to do, which was to mitigate whatever you want to call this current event. Um, and they have done nothing but make it worse. They have sunk us further into debt. Mm -hmm. uh, they're destroying the psychological, the mental health of everybody. Even the ones of us that have weathered the storm pretty well, it's a beating. You can't go anywhere without having to talk about it. Um, the, gov the governor has failed along the way. There, there were a couple of times where I actually had a glimmer of positivity. <laughs> Thought for a second he got a couple of things right, and then it gave him about 30 seconds. The Texas wind changed, and he was back to doing what he was doing. So I, I will be whipping for hot fines, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, I spoke about it earlier. It's not the proper role of government to pick and choose who wins, who loses. The government needs to stay out of that. That's up to the American consumer. You know, it's up to the constituent to decide what businesses have a right to stay in business because you're patroning them. You know, you're giving your business to them. The, has he abused his office? 
actually, he hasn't abused his office because the powers that the legislators have given to him, he is utilizing all his powers. There is an inherent flaw in the power that's been given under the, the Disaster Act in the state of Texas. Um, cities, the executive there, they have a check and balance that's built in where the city council checks the power of the mayor. The commissioners check the power of the county judge, but there is no check on the governor right now. It would have to be a constitutional amendment would be the only way they could have bypassed his veto power to be able to veto a power that would take away or would be taking away his power. So it's going to end up having to be a constitutional amendment if Abbott's still in or a governor that actually is willing to allow uh, some kind of check on his power to be established. So in that regards, it is also up to the legislature to act in their role to legislate or propose constitutional amendments or, or laws that would reinforce separation of powers. Because with if you don't have the other branches acting to put a check on the executive, it's just tyranny and dictatorship, and you have a single person decide what's allowed and what's not allowed. And thank goodness in Collin County, we have a really good county judge that right now, we don't even have a state of emergency in, uh, in Collin County. I don't know if you really realize that, but there is not one. It was rescinded a month ago. We're back to business as usual. Great. I'd like to agree with everybody here, but is that okay? <laughs> no, like, a, like, like Paul was saying, you know, when this thing uh, first took off uh, during spring break of, of last year, you know, we were all scared too. Uh, we didn't know what was going on. We were getting mis met, uh, messages from, from Fauci uh, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Uh, and then uh, at a closed schools, you know, for for two weeks, uh, two weeks after spring break. So I thought, you know, I'm in school business. In two weeks, this thing will clear up and we'll move on. Uh, then it was another two weeks, and then the school was canceled for two months or two and a half months. Uh, and it just kept dragging and dragging and dragging. And then there was the uh, restaurant. Uh, we're closing all the restaurants and all the bars, uh, but something. But but a liquor store can't stay open. Uh, grocery stores can. Gas stations can. So it was, it, it, it was that picking, picking and choosing of what businesses were going to stay open and those that were going to close that really bothered me because our, our job is our livelihood. That's our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've got to have a livelihood uh, and, and seeing people lose their jobs. I mean, we were a part of that in my own family. Uh, my wife works as a, as a meeting planner. Well, guess what? When you can't meet, then you can't plan. When you can't plan, then, then you lose that income as well. Uh, but we were able to do it. Uh, you know, uh, Based on uh, our other income, but uh, but but the same people lose their job and lose the, their their livelihood through a government program or, or, or a governor who who would who would selectively pick and choose uh, who could stay open and who could make a living uh, is rather is rather di disturbing. Um, you know, I, we are very fortunate in, in Collin County that we have Chris Hill as our judge, and we don't have Judge Jenkins as our as our judge. Uh, you know, shutting out all of all of Dallas County. Uh, so I'm grateful uh, that, that we have someone like uh, Chris Hill uh, overseeing this county. Uh, very happy uh, to to hear him not uh, take on that role uh, as a as a governor. Uh, and then you know, 
with uh, with uh, Governor Abbott. You know, he had a, a mask mandate uh, throughout the entire school year until March. Uh, well, that put schools in a, in a, in a precarious situation of school boards and superintendents. But what do you do for the next two months? You know, we've already gone this far. Uh, so it put them in a very um, uh, unenviable p uh, position uh, on, on, on mass mandates. Uh, I do think that is a local control uh, uh, established by a local school board. Okay, that's actually the next question. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna go to the next question have a um, a follow-up question to this question right now so I'm, but because he's already opened the door let's go there should local school districts be able to decide their own health policies our local school district changed the dress code to include masks this last year their goal was to mitigate or slow the spread is it the responsibility of the district to stop a virus or educate or both and what if those health policies are harming education or causing there to be a detrimental or a loss to learning? Um, would you like to go ahead and start? Sure. Well, so there's only one school district that I know actually tried to implement a dress code or a mask and a dress code policy, and that was Paris ISD. Uh, the other, uh, the other school district did not put that in their dress code. They would just mandate. Well, that. Uh, so last year, school districts were just following the governor's order as far as a mask mandate up until early March. Uh, now this year is a different story. Uh, so the school districts um, have, you know, I don't think school districts have the, have the right to um, uh, mandate masks, but I do think they have the right to make it optional. Uh, and I think that's where school districts are actually falling. Uh, I know uh, a school district near us uh, adopted a policy to where uh, you know uh, kids, kids, students could opt out based on a number of reasons, and some did, and then some didn't. Uh, but you know, we um, a, a, as Republicans, we're, all, we're always advocating local control, uh, and there's nothing more local than that local school board, uh, and there's nothing more local than if, if the if the public doesn't like what the school board's doing. Then they can go to that school board meeting and voice those concerns. But that's what local control is all about. Uh, going to that city council meeting, going to that school board meeting, going to uh, the commissioner's uh, cabinet meeting, uh, and expressing those views. Uh, but my personal view is uh, that masks should be optional uh, and, and, and leaving that up to that local school board. Okay, thank you. Uh, Daryl, would you like to jump in? Yeah, the, uh, our, our county health department is is the health authority for some schools and not all schools. So some schools already had the ability to make the decision for themselves, and the county would make the decision for some of the smaller schools. And then the governor issued an executive order overriding all that. So I, I think if you're allowing the small schools or just any of the schools to make decisions for themselves, and you also have the dollars for the student tied to uh, the student wherever you place the student and allow that to be moved around, you would find a lot, a very large difference in reaction on how the schools uh, decided to protect their students. They would be trying to keep those students in school as much as possible and they would be trying to keep them safe, of course, but if they start doing, 
you know, overboard reactions that is going to have parents pulling their kids out of school and taking their dollars elsewhere to other schools. Um, it would be a quite different reaction. It would be very analogous to what happened when uh, Judge Hill didn't set any mandates in Collin County. We had people from Dallas and Denton driving into our county so they could go shopping and not feel like stores are going to be shut down everywhere. So it, it would be analogous to that. Thank you, Daryl. Sean? Should the school district decide health policies? Well, when I vote for school board, um, very few of them have any qualifications mm -hmm. when it comes to health. Um, so that's an interesting question. I do believe that localization is the most effective way to moderately govern over people. Uh, the smaller groups, the, the easier it is to come to a compromise. Um, unfortunately, with the way the school system works, you cannot withdraw your consent. Um, you can take your child out of school, but you still have to pay for your that school, whether you do, whether you choose to use it or not, which as parents, uh, my son's a high schooler in Plano, uh, presents a problem for us. Do I pay my property taxes or do I pay for a private education? Most of us can't do both, especially these days. Um, no, it is not the government's job, the school's job to fight a virus. That's the doctor's job. Uh, so they really shouldn't be educating, they should be reinforcing what the parents are let's hope, teaching at home. Um, and the schools are just there to make sure they're actually doing what they've been taught to do at home. Um, I do think, though, that localization when it comes to all school policies is the best way to go because it, it is, you can go to your school board and you can rabble rouse. Uh, I would like to see an easier path to have all public officials removed. Hmm. Um, I think it's a little too complicated right now, and we need to be able to, when somebody fails to do what they've obligated themselves to do, or when they start to clearly break campaign promises, such as Plano School Board at the end of last summer, there will be no virtual, there will be no mask mandates. And I promise you, I got said some, there were some awful things said to me at the emergency school board meeting in Plano uh, about a month ago, and it all revolved around that. Um, so we need to be able to get rid of those people that break their promises, and we need to be able to do it quickly so that we can put somebody else in charge. So I'm a former union elementary school teacher. This is what I did before I became a homeschool mom. And I was shocked because at the time I was still on social media, I was shocked by how many people were joining our little groups. You see, homeschoolers stick together. We join up, we support each other, we help each other out. And uh, it was unbelievable. And I thought, you know what, there's something going on. I'm sure it's fine. There's just something little going on. So I decided to start going to the school board meetings. And I went in and spoke and I told them, look, we've got a problem. You are losing kiddos. Sure enough, McKinney ISD almost lost 1,500 students last year. That is nuts. Not only that, but yes, they did but decide because the mask mandate was incredibly unpopular. So they did. They made it part of the dress code. Then they said, okay, well, we're doing it because of the governor's order. Well, the governor rescinded his order. Okay, well, now we're doing it because of the TEA. Then they said, we got to keep doing this thing. So three moms 
at three separate high schools put together three private problems. It was amazing how quickly MISD decided, okay, math can be optional now. I was shocked. Another thing that you might have heard was that an elementary school was shut down for a short period of time due to COVID. That was baloney. They didn't have enough staffing because people don't want to be substitute teachers right now. And I told them straight up, I could not work for McKinney ISD, not even as a substitute teacher because of how they treat not only their students, not only the parents, but the teachers. I can't imagine if we went to California and I said, well, it's my opinion that if you carry, that you are safer. Therefore, I think all of my colleagues in California need to be carrying guns to keep themselves safe. Can you imagine? People would panic, and maybe rightly so. Perhaps they should not be carrying. Perhaps it's not safer for them. So I cannot imagine how any person could possibly think that a mask would keep you safer. And you know I had to look this up. So sure enough, I found some studies. This is from the CDC. And they said after they reviewed years and years and years worth of masks, that they said that there was no difference in risk for laboratory confirmed. They were looking at influenza specifically in this um, situation. That the primary use for those, uh, hang on, I just wanna make sure I'm getting this right. It's basically to make sure that chewing gum doesn't fall out of the surgeon's mouth. Do you understand, guys, where, why disposable recycled plastic masks from China are, could be useful? Disposable medical masks, also known as, known as surgical masks, are loose-fitting devices. Could I keep going? Is everybody okay with that? 15 seconds. That sounds good. We're designed to be worn by medical personnel to protect accidental contamination of patient wounds and to protect the wearer against splashes or sprays of bodily fluids. There's limited evidence for their effectiveness in preventing influenza virus transmission, either when worn by the infected person or for source control or when worn by infected persons to reduce exposure. Our systematic review found no significant effect of face masks on transmission of laboratory confirmed influenza. at the CDC and the FDA because they keep giving you the answers. It's right there. Paul? I'll just give it short. Uh, for health policies, no. Health recommendations, sure. Anybody can recommend you know, whatever they like. It's a friendly recommendation. I think that's fine. But we've crossed over that bridge. And you can see that playing out throughout Texas and throughout the country. Uh, quite honestly, more kids in our schools are using legal drugs. And not only McKinney and Collin County and all of Texas, but all of America. And we get numb to that as a society. We've done nothing to address that. Uh, and yet, um, you know, here we are with our numbers so low with COVID, and we know the numbers are so low throughout McKinney, Collin County, United States with kids, that at some point, I think we just have to look at this as a historical error that greatly damaged these children. And instead of only studying, say, the long-term effects of COVID, we need to speak longer about the long-term effects of what this has done to children uh, and their mental health going forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where we need to couch this. And initial research shows that there are some concerning trends. So from a, a school board perspective, you know, my recommendation would be that they can recommend, you know, obviously things, but when they cross over to policy, policy basically becomes a sort of a law. And I think that's very, very dangerous, slippery slope, and we see it playing out. Okay, so I have a follow-up question that somebody had sent in. So apparently my phone number must still be readily available. 
<clears throat> for those of you that believe that the school district had the uh, authority or the proper uh, call to mandate masks, if you're a parent of a child who has some kind of auditory disorder or perhaps dyslexic and they have challenges, uh, meaning they need to read lips or you know, have some additional context to what they're hearing, um, how are they supposed to have an excellent education if they cannot read the teacher's lips or see anything in the face as far as uh, the lesson planning? Does anybody want to try and tackle that? Okay, so I am very fortunate to have a loved one who has been diagnosed with not only ADHD, but is what we call a little spectrum. And one of the studies that the psychologist did is she studied how he reacted to different facial expressions. And he, across the board, would look at these different facial expressions and assume that the person that was making the facial expressions was angry or disappointed with him. Mm. So now imagine if that person had their facial expression covered. I can't even imagine the emotional and psychological trauma that it would have on this particular kiddo who was already working extremely hard to read a room and to understand how he is supposed to react in all the circumstances. Oh, did I mention he also required speech for a year? I mean, I can't even imagine trying to be a speech pathologist and trying to help your students when they cannot see your mouth move. I struggle with hearing issues. So when I said I'm exempt from these mask wearing, I meant it. I'm not just some cute young thing trying to be flippant. I really meant it, I struggle. If you're wearing a mask, I cannot understand you. And according to the American with Disabilities Act, there are times when you can take off the mask so that I can understand what you're trying to communicate with me. So I'm, I'm frankly floored that any of these school boards thought that it was okay and to, to mandate these masks, particularly with the teachers. And then when I attended the school board meeting and I heard one of the school board members say, well, the day when the governor repealed the mandate, I got all these emails and at least 80% of them wanted the mandate to stay. And all I could think of is, so this is a popularity contest. Well, great, I know how to handle popularity contests. And since then, we have been trying so hard to be the popular ones. This is ridiculous. Okay, did anybody else want to jump on that? It's already been legislated. It, there's accommodations that are required by law. So if someone needs to have the mask removed, it already exists in law that those students would be allowed to have that mask removed or their teacher to be unmasked so they can actually communicate with them. Okay, so it looks like two uh, questions that are duplicated at the end. So we're going to move on to question three uh, from an unnamed citizen in McKinney. I, it looks like there's probably more than one question here, so I'm going to try and break it up just a little bit here. Uh, they've been in McKinney for four or five years, I'm sorry, five or six years. They've noticed that uh, a lot of things, and one of the big things is there are a lot of HOAs within McKinney. <laughs> the question is, is how does an HOA uh, help or interact with government during an emergency? And the, I guess the follow-up or the qualifier is, in other words, the HOAs could have helped a lot of their locations if they would have maybe coordinated some efforts 
and uh, utilize their newsletters or some other form of communication. And uh, I, then the, I guess the closing of that is um, how could the government have helped and how specifically should the McKinney City government be involved in helping? So however you would choose to interpret that, um, we will uh, I guess start this time with Sean. <laughs> Hey, Chetways are just awful. I would never live in anything but a voluntary HOA. Um, I have no problem with that. Um, uh, honestly, I don't know. Growing up in Plano, we do not have the same level of HOAs that they have in McKinney. Um, I know a lot of people that have moved out of communities because of the HOAs, um, either because of price or harassment. I had a friend that told me his his weed to grass ratio wasn't uh, up to HOA standards. Um, I, I don't know, this question seems a little strange to me. To me, there is no correlation. Uh, the HOA at no point serves any function that would be to help the community. I mean, it's, there's, there's nothing about an HOA that's designed for that. It's designed to make sure that I get maximum value for my home when I go to sell it because they've force the other neighbors to keep a, a similar standard so i don't really see that there's a connection between those two um other than i guess from the sense of a an hoa being a group of like-minded people living in the same community that come together to you know help one another but but i don't see that there's any way that the city of mckinney's government and an hoa should be working together in a time of emergency um, that just, at least my limited interaction with people that sit on HOA boards is, I'm not interested in them having any more control over my life than I am another city official. Mm -hmm. um, so I honestly have really nothing on this other than HOAs are bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marissa, would you like to go? Uh, sure, I mean, all the friends that we had who had issues with blankets, they reached out to us and we, we helped them out. Heat, the same, we were all in the same boat. Flooding and pipes, it was up to your insurance company. I mean, we had a friend who was a full-on construction guru and he wasn't allowed to touch his house because the insurance company had to handle it. It was kind of a racket. Uh, but as far as the HOAs helping, no, I do not believe that the HOAs help. I believe that the neighbors helped each other in a loving community. Okay. Paul? Uh, no disrespect to the HOA board members that are out there watching, but I think we all know that it's the first to fall, right? It's not really a, a body that uh, could do much, and so I, I just don't see how effective that could be. However, I would say within HOAs, there are groups of neighbors. I know here in Stonebridge, where we live, there's probably 70, 80 individual developments, and we're pretty close within ours. You're probably pretty close within yours, and so, during these issues, we all took care of one another. We chopped down trees. Um, but remember, there's there's sort of a, a beginning phase, right, which we all got through. But what if this had carried on for a month or two months, where you begin to run out of really, you know, clean water, food, diapers for the babies? Your city council can't do anything. No disrespect to the county, but I don't know if there's much they can do on diapers either. However, unless Dale is in that line of work anytime soon, no. There's not much you can do. So then you really do depend on your heavy hitters of the federal government, state to government, 
um, to start opening up massive roadways of transportation, bringing in the National Guard, which has a job, a duty to work throughout the state in national emergencies. That's what they're really situated for. So when these things hit, there are plans in place to depend upon uh, largely the, the National Guard. So short term, yeah, your neighbor's friends, but a few weeks go by, uh, the National Guard's gonna have to step in if the emergency continues to keep society intact. Well, my wife is a realtor, and so other than uh, working with the HOAs that pay uh, exorbitant transfer fees, uh, uh, you know, that's what my um, understanding is of our, of our HOA. But I also uh, think that's under their roles and responsibilities to uh, work with the city in times of, uh, in times of emergencies. Um, uh, but if you, if you never lived in an area without an HOA or some type of um, uh, organization, and you got uh, cars parked in the parked on lawns and mattresses and, and uh, uh, washing machines out in front of homes, then you would maybe appreciate them a little bit more. I'm not I'm not an HOA advocate, but I have lived in those communities sometimes, uh, and you wish that somebody would enforce those ordinances. All right, Daryl, I think you're up. Yeah. So the the purpose I see for HOAs is as a value preservation entity. I mean, it provides for a way to have civil action brought against those that aren't meeting the minimum standards. And thus, that keeps your property values up. Uh, as far as adding additional government powers to a body that sometimes can be very easily manipulated by a very small handful of people would be the worst thing I think that could happen. Um, how would you have liked all of your... Uh, uh, HOA presidents to have executive power and start issuing mandates for your neighborhood. Mm. I mean, they, there's horrifying thoughts that spring to mind. They, there are some good HOAs out there where they really develop a sense of community and they have events where they actually get together and you meet your neighbors. That's the value that the HOA brings and it's all the private interaction and just communication that happens inside the HOA that is the benefit. It's not the actual organization itself or any of the powers they have. Okay. So the last question of the ones that were turned in, and, and I'm not really sure how you might want to interpret this, but it basically asks the question, what are boundaries for city and school districts that are set up under the Constitution for emergencies? So I can see where there might be more than one way to interpret that. And I'll leave that to the panelists. And I'm going to probably give you about 30 seconds to think about an answer because it's a little unclear. I'm sorry, what people are thinking. OK, go for it. So one of the things that was really interesting about starting to learn more about the school district um, is there's something called the Open Records Act. Um, and you're allowed to ask for information. And so um, earlier it was brought up about mask exemptions. And yes, you can apply for them. However, they were not being honored at McKinney ISD. I reached out to the head nurse at least four times and she refused to tell me how many children requested exemptions and how many got them back. And I even did the Open Records Act and they said, sorry, we don't have that document. Um, also, I think basically what we've realized is that the school boards and the city's councils, I assume is, is what they're saying here, can do whatever we allow them to do. Mm. 
and it has to take warm bodies going to these school board meetings and city council meetings saying, no, thank you, it's time to stop that. Now we're gonna do things a little bit differently. Um, and there's three lessons that I've walked away from as a result of being a little bit more active in my community. First of all, education is my responsibility as a parent. I cannot rely on a government school mm -hmm. to educate my child. If you use public school, you better be making sure that you know what's going on in the classroom and that you finish whatever education is lacking as a result of. Responsibility to make sure that my children have a religious upbringing. My goodness, they shut down our churches. Can't rely on them anymore. Good news, I got a Bible and I can read it. So can my kids, so that's what we can do. I can make sure that they have a decent religious upbringing. And finally, it's up to my family to take care of their own health. I cannot rely on the school districts. I cannot rely on the city because they're going to abuse any kind of rules that are set up under the Constitution. They don't care. They're going to do whatever they want during the emergencies. And so what we've decided as a family is none of our elderly are going to be going to long-term health facilities. They're our responsibility. They took care of us. We're going to take care of them with choices and responsibilities. And we've decided as a family that we're going to stay active in politics. We're going to stay active in the schools. We're going to stay active in the cities and in the counties. I love visiting Commissioner Hale from time to time on Mondays. And we're going to make sure that we have, oh. There you go. That people who are leaders understand what the people want. Because otherwise, they're just going to keep taking as much power as they want. I had a friend tell me this, and this is sick. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's cute, isn't he? I love him. That this pandemic is a once-in-a-lifetime business opportunity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it that way, and you look at what has been happening and what is happening, and you know where we're going, you know they're going after the kids with those shots. Look at the money, folks. Paul, would you like to go next? Sure, I wrote a few notes. Um, so in regards specifically to the question, I think they all take an oath. Um, I took an oath in law enforcement, took one in military, took one when I was a California parole board commissioner, it's all the same. Um, so we have a duty to uphold that oath, which is also inherent in doing no harm. Uh, but from that, from the school board specifically, you're accountable uh, to the taxpayers. And from that, we charge our schools with one thing, and that's to educate our kids, period. So it, what I wrote down was accountability to performance of academics. And that's what they're there for. They're there to make sure that our schools are doing well, our kids are learning. And if they're failing in those, in that one very simple measure, if in McKinney ISD our numbers are slipping and then we need to hold the elected officials accountable for that. I think we're, we're spreading, the we've cast the net too wide. They've cast the net, they've all cast the net too wide for what they think they can do. We need to get back to the very basics, and the basics is making sure our kids get reading, writing, and arithmetic. You know, I was educated uh, from first grade through 12th grade uh, in, in public schools. I got two sons that graduated from public schools. My youngest son attends uh, a, a private school. Uh, and a child's education is a partnership with the parents and the school district. Whether or not it's a public school, private school, or a charter school. Kids that excel have parents that set high expectations for those kids. Like, uh, it is not just the school's responsibility. Uh, it, is, it is that parent working with the school and school working with the parent. 
uh, on the boundaries. I'll give you a little uh, trivia here um, of school districts and why they look so funky. Uh, in Texas, there were at one time over 6,000 school districts. Well, when those school districts get smaller and they lose enrollment or they can't maintain the funding, those school districts get, get consolidated. So right now we have about 1,100 school districts. So look at those weird shapes and some, some looks kind of strange and, and some uh, go over uh, a different county lines. That's the reason we, we have gone from over 6,000 school districts to about 1,100 school districts. And just on the education part, you know, we hear this a lot about, about the funding follow, follows the kid or, or, or the funding should follow the student. In Texas, the funding does follow the student. Uh, in, 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 in other states, it might not do that, but if, if, a, if a student leaves McKinney ISD and goes to a charter school, that funding follows that student. Uh, McKinney ISD doesn't just get some blanket amount of money. Uh, they earn those funds through student attendance. So, and if a student leaves uh, Plano ISD and crosses a district line and that district takes that student, the, the funding does follow that student. So that's the way it works in Texas. I think that the, uh, you know, under the Constitution, uh, there's not a whole lot that's said really about emergencies. Mm -hmm. It talks about general welfare, which is, you know, extremely broad. So you end up establishing laws and acts that are legislated upon to determine where those boundaries are, what powers are allocated, and that's where the flaws creep in because you know we as people are flawed flawed entities and whenever we start writing derivations of you know the constitution into other laws there's going to be flaws that creep in there's no checks and balances that exist in the texas uh, local government code right now for the disaster act once you go all the way to the top the governor has no checks on his power only way to get them out is to vote them out, and the reason there's not any legislative action that happened is because he has $45 million in his campaign finance account that he can allocate to opponents of other legislators if they act against him. Hmm. So it, it ultimately is about the power, and he's not gonna have any checks on his power as long as he can allocate uh, his dollars and wield his authority to influence the legislature that is supposed to have a check on his power but does not implement it. Alright, Sean? According to the Patriot Act, in a time of emergency, the local, the local municipalities have an enormous amount of power. And as long as that boogeyman of an act stays out there, like as much as I dislike Clay Jenkins, everything he did is well within his rights under the Patriot Act for a time of emergency. So first thing you do is get rid of the Patriot Act. Um, school districts, an interesting thing, this is, my, this is my son's first year in public school in a really long time. Um, and we've been in the private and charter system. And uh, you don't get to take dollar for dollar value back. The charter school works on about 60 cents on the dollar and they do a vastly superior job for less. So while some of the money does carry over, it doesn't all carry over. And um, I know like my representative, Mr. Shaheen, uh, lobbied on, he was going to go for school vouchers. He did not honor that commitment either. 
So we are at a disadvantage as parents as to what, it, what to do with our children when it comes to public schools. But to be clear about that, with public education, it was designed not to make thinkers, but to make obedient workers. Mm -hmm. This is a fact. Horace Mann boasted about it. The Rockefellers, when they set up the general school board, they boasted about it as well. It absolutely is the parents' job to make sure that that message that they get at school is filtered through proper context. You have to go back, talk to your kids about what they talk about in school, flip through their books, understand what they're learning. Because, and even then, when they're learning from an adult, it's still being filtered through whatever their life experience is. So it's also our job to go back in, fill in the gaps, and maybe give a different bit of context and practical application. It truly is the the American people have been tricked for a very long time now into thinking that educating the children was somebody else's job mm. and that as long as you pay your taxes, that's doing your part. We have robbed ourselves and we've robbed our children of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. As I learned today, I learned the other day, Plano doesn't offer logic as an elective. Now the state of Texas says you can. My son took it in charter in, uh, in eighth and ninth grade. Um, and him watching a 14-year-old watching the presidential debates last year with a 14-year-old who had taken logic and taken Latin, he was yelling out logical fallacies in English and in Latin. He could tell me how each one of those people were trying to invoke motion and manipulate him. Why aren't we teaching the rest of the kids how to think? I got to say, uh, that was um, dear to my heart there. All right, um, the next question is one that was sent in to me, and I'm gonna take a moment to, I guess, presuppose a few things so that it maybe makes sense. So, government um, decides what a company is, right? When you get incorporated, you basically are asking their blessing to operate as a business. So when you do that, you're now accepting whatever rules the government puts upon you, including if you're an insurance company and or any other form of business. So this question is, what can we do about the companies that uh, may not actually be shut down, but are forced to do certain things because their insurance company, through their policies, causes the cost of doing business to go so high because they're not necessarily complying with various things, that they have to close their doors because they can't possibly make a profit. And is there a solution that government can offer uh, when dealing with the high insurance costs? Anybody care to tackle that? Do you think that talking about health or like all of it? I would say all of the above. Go ahead, John. Um, I will say that the rising cost of healthcare um, is almost solely due to government regulations mm -hmm. and loopholes that companies have to jump through. Um, so it's, again, why am I asking the person who's poisoning me to keep bringing me dinner? Mm. Um, and, and quite honestly, I, the answer is to remove all government protectionism and incentives from these companies. Um, one of the greatest definitional problems I have with people today is we're not a capitalist society. 
we're a corporate oligarchy. There is no point of capitalism where my money is taken out of my wallet and used to prop up another failing business. That is at no point is that capitalism. Um, to get back to the true spirit of a free market capitalist society, I think would uh, remedy a lot of those. Because right now doctors cannot operate without enormous overhead because of all the bureaucracy, all the regulation, all the liabilities that have been pushed on them. It's, you're seeing a decline in people leaving the med wanting to go into the medical industry because of everything else that they're saddled with. Uh, again, we need to get government out of healthcare and allow, give ourselves the power and give the doctors the power to treat us the way they see fit instead of having to hit all of these check boxes. And it also goes back to our personal responsibility as individuals. Uh, I'm not much of an advocate for most government licensing. It is our responsibility as consumers to do our research, to make sure we know who we're dealing with. and. By doing that, giving ourselves that responsibility, we're also giving ourselves the power of choice. By removing government from the regulatory system, we're giving ourselves more choices. Thank you. Did anybody want to add to that? Go ahead, Daryl. So I'm a licensed insurance agent, and on the, on the health portion, when we tested, uh, Texas state law says that any disease that you have that's endemic to an area, like, say, COVID, um, there could be no presumption that working in your job, that's where you got it from. So that plays in a worker's compensation. However, um, this last session, we had our state legislature, as much as I love nurses and as much as I love law enforcement, uh, they passed a law in that it was unanimous in the Senate and it was 140 141 uh, for and nine against to establish an automatic presumption that if someone died of COVID that was a law enforcement or a nurse, it was then presumed they got it while they were working. And thus the insurance agencies now have to pay for that. And it's going if they're if they got it and they end up being a long hauler, it's probably going to be about a million dollars of insurance payout over their lifetime. And if it is uh, a death, it's probably going to be a million and a half to two million dollars that's paid out, and that will cause a skyrocketing. And it and it's purely based on political pandering. I mean, it's very obvious. And if you look at the nine that voted against it, they are the most conservative members of the Texas House that voted against it. And I'm just amazed that they allowed that to go through. And it is now set into our code that it is presumed that they die of COVID if, um, or they presume, it's presumed that they caught COVID at work. So here's what's so crazy. Say you're a doctor at a hospital and you caught the flu and you die of the flu. Um, there's no presumption that you actually caught it at work and, and there's no worker comp from that hospital that has to pay for that doctor. But if he caught COVID and died, uh, now the hospital is on the hook to pay his workers comp and that insurance is going to pay out. So, and it really doesn't even matter because it's all one risk pool. So you have subsidizing from everyone else that uses workers comp through that, or wherever that insurance company, it, it's going to be, be spread out to the whole pool. So 
the cost of doing business is going up everywhere. Okay, did anybody else have anything to add to that? Okay, we've got a final thing I'm gonna bounce off you. I don't know that it's necessarily a question. I'm just looking for a response. It was sent in to me. Uh, Army flight surgeon recommends to Secretary of Defense that all injected pilots and flight crews be grounded for their risk of cardiac arrest in or arrest, excuse me, in flight while carrying personnel or munitions. We have uh, three pulmonary embolisms in the ICU within 48 hours of the jab at Fort Hood, Texas. Any thoughts on that? Anybody? Yeah. Go ahead. I think that this is one of the many situations that's being swept under the rug. I think that we're losing pilots. I think that we're losing amazing military members because they don't want to be a part of this experiment. I don't think they want to be guinea pigs. Mr. Sean brought up Nuremberg codes earlier. It does say Nuremberg codes. You're not allowed to be experimenting on the military. So yes, I, I feel very, very strongly that there are a lot of issues going on with the COVID injections and that it's being swept under the rug. Anyone else? Okay, we'll leave that one alone. Well, it is a little after 8.30. That is the uh, final question for tonight. I want to thank you all for joining us and for your input. Everybody give them a round of applause. And uh, we will have one brief announcement. I inadvertently didn't even answer Joe's question. He was asking for legal help. And if you go to peopleagainstcoerceshots.com, um, we have a wonderful page there that talks all about how you can get exemptions, how you can get legal help, and there, is, there are several organizations. I don't recommend you use Google because they're pretty corrupt. I recommend you use DuckDuckGo or something similar to that, but there uh, is a group called Liberty Council that's had some great success in helping employees, and also FirstLiberty.org is another one that's had some great success. Um, join our rallies and help us out. Thank you very much, Marissa. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jordan Holsey, the Vice President of the McKinney First Pack, and I really appreciate you being here. If you're online, um, I know that they had closed down our Facebook Live from streaming this, but for those of you that are gonna be online that are sharing this, we're gonna share it off of the McKinney First Pack uh, website. We'll post it up there, that way you guys can share it all over social media for it to be seen by many other people. Uh, we thank all of you that came out in person. We really appreciate it. Of course, we thank the panelists. Let's give them another round of applause. Um, but um, it's uh, it's truly an honor to be able to uh, stand up, to have the liberty to come here, mm -hmm. to have the liberty to talk about these things. <clears throat> the only reason that um, government exists here is because of the fact that we allow it to have that power and the, our job is to curtail stop and prevent it from getting out of bounds okay the government did get out of bounds it was out of bounds everyone I don't care if you're a libertarian Democrat or Republican everyone would admit that the government has flip-flopped all throughout the state of Texas during this pandemic, back and forth, either way, 
no matter what you believe in. It is not the government's job. It's our job. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility as people to take care of ourselves, to take care of our neighbors, and to take care of our community. Okay? So let's end with a word of prayer. Thank you so much for coming, and uh, we'll just go to God. Father God, thank you for the blessings you've given us, and thank you so much for the freedom to live in a, in a society right now uh, where we do at least have a voice and where we do at least have the opportunity to uh, stand for liberty. That we would continue to do that and that we would continue to know that uh, we do need logic, we do need thought, we do need not to be told what to think, but we need to be taught how to think, how to use our brains. Father God, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us to live in this nation, to have these friends, and to have this community. And thank you so much for the community that you've given us here in McKinney and for these people that have come to speak this evening to stand up for logic and ideas and that these ideas would not be swept under the rug and that they would be seen by many other in the community that we could come out, that we could do positive things for the children, for our community,